Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. I've got a big focus on responsible tourism with my tour company. And it's something that, you know, I thought I knew everything about when I first came over here. And, and just through being here for such an extended period of time, those ideas have changed. to the Budget-Minded Traveler podcast, your source for the everyday inspiration and practical tips that make international travel accessible to everyone. Hello, everyone. This is episode 71 of the Budget-Minded Traveler podcast. Thanks for tuning in wherever you are. I happen to be in Montana today. Did you see that one coming? <laughs> I know a lot of you guys have sort of traveled with me around the world in the last year, and I am actually back where I started in Montana, and I plan to be here for most of the summer before taking off again. So hello again to North America. Hello, summertime it is the best time of year to be in Montana. Um, anyway, today we are continuing our series with North American expats and we're featuring a Canadian traveler who fell in love with Thailand and also in Thailand. Wait for that story. So I'm excited to share his expat journey here with you. Um, but first I want to mention a couple of things, a big, huge thank you to everyone who voted for the show, um, in this year's podcast awards. The awards have been announced and unfortunately we did not take home the trophy, but I so very much appreciate all of your support regardless. And I will continue to do my best to bring you great content and keep earning that support that so many of you have shown me. And if you want to continue to support me, keep sending those emails. I love hearing from you. And if you want to help the show, please go leave a review on iTunes. I can never have enough of the good stuff that you guys have to say about the show. So thank you so much for your support. One more thing, if you haven't heard yet, I am leading a trip to Patagonia this fall. I just spent three months living in Bariloche in Argentina, and that's in Patagonia, if you don't know. And I have traveled to Southern Chile twice now to hike the famous W Circuit, twice since last October. And I have put together what I believe to be an ultimate 10-day itinerary of Southern Patagonia. And I have carefully selected partners to build this trip with, one of whom you already know, Nathaniel Boyle, who has been on my show several times and has his own podcast, The Travelers, is actually co-hosting this trip with me. And there are a few spots left, so go check out patagonia2016.com to find out more. And if you've ever dreamed about hiking in Patagonia, now is your chance. What are you waiting for? Say yes to this because I'm going. Come do it with me. It's going to change your life. It's going to change all of our lives. All right, let's find out more about Ian. 
Having spent more than half of his life on the road, Ian has developed an insatiable thirst for travel. His love for the road less traveled is only surpassed by his passion for helping protect this planet and all of its earthlings. Travel blogger, board member of the Professional Travel Blogger Association, chapter leader for Travel Massive Networking Events, host of Responsible Travel and Tourism Collective Twitter Chats, and founder of the boutique travel company WSE Travel, Ian plays a very active role in helping bring global awareness, education, and experience to those looking to travel sustainably and responsibly. Ian loves spicy food and loud music to dance to and occasionally dresses up in robot costumes for fun. As a girl who wears tutus for running races, I really probably shouldn't be laughing at that. Uh, So this should be an interesting conversation. (laughs) All right. Thanks for listening again, you guys. Here we go with Ian Ord, Canadian expat living in Thailand. All right, I'm here with Ian Ord. How are you, Ian? Hi, Jackie. I'm good, thanks. <laughs> You're so proper. <laughs> I'm just giving you a hard time. The can- um, Canadianisms, I guess, right? The Canadianisms. So um, let's pretend that you and I don't actually know each other uh, because I know we've, we've actually hung out in Thailand before. But uh, for the sake of this interview and for learning about your story and who you are and what brought you to Thailand... Um, yeah, let's just uh, take it from from square zero. Um, so first of all, I I want to know where you are right now. Uh, currently, I'm sitting in uh, my friend's apartment in Bangkok. Uh, just came down for a weekend, hanging out with some friends that I met here, and going on a little bit of a road trip with one of them too. Oh, fun. Okay, cool. Weekend away in Bangkok. We- week away in Bangkok. Weekend away in Kanchanaburi. A few days ago, I was in Chiang Rai. It's a busy week. Lots of wow. traveling. I cannot wait to get into all of this. Okay, so before we do, though, um, let's find out who you are. So where do you originally come from? And uh, what was your life before Thailand? Oh, boy. Uh, yeah, I know. One? Big question. <laughs> See, I'm in a Buddhist country, so maybe we should talk about which life. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I came from a, a small town just about... Uh, 45 minutes west of Toronto, Canada, uh, called Guelph. Most people have probably never heard of it. Funny name, big university, and that's pretty much where it gets any of its population from. Moved to Toronto for the last six years that I was in Canada, and that was almost five years ago. Since then, I've been living in Thailand and spending most of my time in Thailand, but about five or six months of the year, I'm, I'm on the road as well. So you're you've made your home base Thailand for the last how many years? Almost five. Almost uh, kind five. of accidentally. Yeah. What? How? How did you get there? Like, why did you choose Thailand? Did you know that you wanted to move abroad when you left Toronto? When I decided finally to leave Toronto to leave Canada, of course, the plan was to move abroad. I didn't really know where I was going to go yet. So backtracking just a little bit. I was just leaving a corporate job that I had been with for about six years, uh, working in the tourism industry uh, in Toronto. And prior to that, I studied tourism, uh, also in Ontario. The reason I did that was I had spent a few years uh, backpacking around the world and knew that that was sort of a, a passion or something that I wanted to pursue in life. So after this series of events of, of traveling, studying tourism, uh, working in the industry for a fairly large corporation, 
eventually just feeling like I was hitting a glass ceiling and, and you know, I, I wasn't even 30 yet mm-hmm. and having sort of this midlife crisis of, is this all there is? I, I loved my job. I loved the people I worked with, but I just felt that I wasn't being challenged anymore. And so I, I spent a summer, the hashtag summer of Ian, you know, just hanging out in Toronto, going to all the multicultural music festivals, things like that, getting a taste of the world at home. And just every everything that I was doing that summer was just sort of reminding me that I wanted to to see more and to experience more. So I, I started thinking about what my options were. I was the head trainer for uh, for the company I was working with and, and had a passion for travel. And I, I kind of just eventually put two and two together that maybe I should consider a job teaching overseas. That seemed like an easy gateway into moving abroad. Mm-hmm. And so, so then I started looking at what my options were through working with this big international travel company and, and acting as a, as a head trainer. I got to travel a lot. Uh, to all the different offices. And there was one office in particular here in Bangkok where I had a big number of friends. Uh, I had been to Thailand on that first round-the-world trip prior to college. And uh, I knew that Thailand was somewhere that, you know, good food, very cheap living conditions. And I had a group of friends here already. So after I put it out to the universe that I was considering moving overseas, all of a sudden all of these friends are coming out of the woodwork and, and sharing their own stories about how they had lived abroad, how they were teaching English, you know, in Korea and Japan, some in Thailand. And one friend happened to mention that she was actually moving to Thailand in two months <laughs> to go work at this NGO uh, way in the, you know, this remote village in, in far northern Thailand. It was mm. working with the Hill Tribe. Immediately that clicked. I could start my life abroad giving back really getting off the beaten path and uh, and living in this hill tribe for a few months. So being an expat wasn't really part of the plan. It was just trying something new and spreading my wings. And it was a three-month contract. So I had no anticipation that I'd be here still five years later. Yeah, no kidding. What were those first three months like? When I first arrived in the in the village, I was expecting... I don't know what I was expecting, to be honest. Being an NGO, I thought it would be fairly you know, well-established and be working with a big team of people. And, <laughs> and when I got there, uh, the founder, owner, picked me up, drove me out into the middle of the country, and basically dropped me off at a house and left. I thought, <laughs> what did I just get myself into? <laughs> the, the friend uh, from Toronto wasn't even there yet. She, she was arriving a few weeks later. And there was one other volunteer and the look on her face, oh, my God, another Westerner. You know, thank goodness. I, I can communicate. She had been there apparently almost two months by herself. Oh, so. my gosh. Oh, my gosh. So, so it, was, uh, it was interesting, for sure. Talk about uh, hitting the ground running, right? No kidding. And what kind of work did you do? Yeah, being a native English speaker. Mm-hmm. Well, Canadian speaker, eh? <laughs> okay. Uh, <laughs> We, we thought that the best position would be English teacher in this village. But very quickly, because I, I kind of got thrown in, I didn't have any ESL teaching experience. Mm. Uh, I didn't have any you know, TESOL training or anything like that. It's kind of like doing a, the Peace Corps without the training. <laughs> like you just get yeah, thrown like, in. <laughs> here, go build a house or dig yeah. a well or something. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> uh, you'll figure it out. But actually, no, that's they, a that's a good meta, like a good analogy. Just because you know how to swing a hammer doesn't know how you, just doesn't mean you know how to build a house. But in the same way. That just because you speak English doesn't know how. Just, oh, I don't know why I can't. I see you can't. I can't even speak English. <laughs> doesn't mean you know how to teach it, though. Is what I'm trying to say. Exactly. Exactly. Training can be very um, helpful. Well, and, and you know, I was I was teaching more tech stuff when I worked for the the travel company. I, I taught how to use reservation software and things like this. You know, I, I took some night courses at a local college to get an adult instruction certificate. I figured, oh, yeah, I've got all the tools needed. Native English speaker, I know how to design courses and all this. Totally different ballgame uh, when you're yeah. speaking with people who have zero English skills. Uh, you know, basically uh, a game of very sophisticated charades where you don't even know if they're saying the right answer. Oh, my gosh. I, I tried it for a couple of weeks and quickly realized that wasn't my jam. It wasn't something that I was feeling. I wasn't very confident with it. Uh, but noticed that the NGO had a pretty shabby website, uh, had about 30 drop-down menus with 100 different tabs in each one. Wow. And I just said, you know, this is insane. And for the period between when I had left the job prior to when I had started at this NGO, there was maybe a six-month period, I had started my own travel blog. And yeah. so I had a, a bit of basic experience uh, building websites, and I just said, mm, "Let me, you know, spend the next two months rebuilding your website instead." And that's what I did. So okay, hey, very cool. See an opportunity. So you stayed in the bush, and you built a website from the bush, <laughs> living in the hill tribe. <laughs> yeah, not exactly <laughs> what I expected to be doing. You know, <laughs> that's kind of ironic and funny. Do you remember the name of the NGO that you worked with? Like, is this a program? That I mean, I know we 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 didn't exactly sell it, but uh, this is something that may interest a lot of people. What was the name of it? Do you remember? Uh, it was a very peculiar name, uh, Pennies for Papa. Pennies and for Papa. Yeah, it was actually okay. an American who had moved over, befriended some of the the locals uh, of this whole tribe, and decided that he wanted to to help contribute and give back. Okay. Wow, that's really neat, actually. Like, it's not a huge scale, but he wanted to make a difference, and so he built something to do it. Exactly. So what happened after you were done? Why did you, wh where did you go, and, and why did you decide to stay? Village life was, was fantastic. You know, walking through w one of the six streets, dirt roads of, of the village, <laughs> and having all the kids, you know, running up, holding your hand, if, if you, they were in your class, if they weren't yelling at you, falong, falong, which, which means foreigner. <laughs> Friendly, it's just for them, it was a shock seeing yeah. foreigners there. But, you know, that, the, the same issue that my colleague in the village was facing in solitary <laughs> confinement, basically, for, for uh, a few, few months, <laughs> you need to get away. And so we would spend our weekends going to one of the, the nearby cities, either Chiang Rai, which is a, a very cute small town up in northern Thailand, or uh, to Chiang Mai, which is the, uh, roughly the second largest city in Thailand, mm -hmm. uh, also very beautiful. But in doing that, I, I actually started to realize that Chiang Mai was this blossoming hub of 
online workers and bloggers and people from all corners of the world who were setting up base there and, and calling it home. A lot of these people were, were coming from similar backgrounds to me. So it started, it started uh, resonating with me. It started really feeling comfortable. And every time I would go to Chiang Mai, I sort of felt like I was becoming part of that community, which very quickly has blossomed into one of the world's biggest hubs for, for what's called uh, digital nomads. I'm not sure if your listeners are, are familiar with the term, but basically just people who work online freelance. Mm-hmm. Yeah. After the, the village, uh, the next logical step was to go hang out in my new sort of home away from home, away from home, Chiang Mai. And while hanging out with all these experienced bloggers, they, they started showing me the ropes of you know, what I was doing right, but more importantly, what I was doing wrong, uh, ideas on how I could perpetuate this new nomadic lifestyle that I had chosen. Mm-hmm. Although, little to my knowledge, it wouldn't be so nomadic. I <laughs> yeah, ended up putting down roots and, and staying here for, for a number of years now. Yeah, you're one of the veterans of the Chiang Mai bloggers. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, it's weird saying that because... I felt like a, a total rookie when I went there, but I guess in retrospect now, yeah. Uh, yeah, there was only a handful back then. And so what did putting down roots look like? Did you, I mean, were you able to work and make money? I mean, did you, how did you support yourself? Because you had a corporate job and your blog was brand new. So I can't imagine that it was earning you anything at this time. So how did you sustain yourself? I had some savings. <laughs> okay. <laughs> not, not a substantial amount, but uh, enough to get get by for a while in Thailand. Okay. Uh, as yeah, I mentioned, Thailand, you know, right. the, the, the living expenses were incredibly cheap here. Mm-hmm. Uh, I managed to very quickly find an apartment, and it was roughly a hundred dollars a month. Mm-hmm. You can still get. You can still find that in Chiang Mai, <laughs> but you get what you pay for. Crazy. I think. I was paying. 1200 a month in Toronto when I lived there. So one wow. year of rent was equivalent to one <laughs> month of rent back home. <laughs> <laughs> That's perspective for you, huh? Wow. Yeah. So, so setting up a, starting a new life, setting up a business, uh, it does take a lot of time, uh, as I've definitely realized o- over the years. But if you can find a place where your overheads are at a minimum, it buys you time. That's so. right. Absolutely. Yeah. So did you just buckle down and start writing and work on your blog? That's exactly what I did. Yeah. I, I hung out with uh, as many of the, the experienced bloggers as I could, taking notes, spent endless hours online re- researching all the, the nerdy tech stuff, you know, yep. SEO and, yep. and <laughs> uh, links and all this kind of stuff, uh, j- just in how I could do this effectively. But I think as probably 95% of the bloggers out there do start, I didn't really have a business plan in mind. Mm-hmm. I just, I read other travel blogs and I thought, oh, all you have to do is, is write and travel and the money just comes in. And now, no, <laughs> right. if only it were that easy. Right. Yeah. So, yeah, it took me two years to figure that out, shamefully, <laughs> mm-hmm. where finally I read this, this one article. There's a, a blogger, uh, Nomadic Matt, who uh, he, he's one of the OGs, uh, the original bloggers, I guess mm-hmm. the OB. 
<laughs> and he wrote this really interesting article about about exactly this topic. Building a blog and just calling it a business or being an entrepreneur is like building a restaurant, you know, spending a lot of time making it beautiful, make, you know, setting the tables, candles, little <laughs> decor all over the place. It's this place that people want to want to be. Uh, maybe you have a couple little ads about relevant things like, you know, some beer ads <laughs> above the bar or something like that. And you sit down and there's, there's this beautiful ambiance. You're getting hungry. You're inspired to eat. And then you realize that there's no menu. <laughs> <laughs> and so you, you leave the restaurant and you go next door and you eat <laughs> somewhere else mm. uh, after being inspired. That's where I really had to start thinking, well, what is my business? What do I want it to be? There's a million different things that, that you can do online, uh, traveling the world uh, to sustain yourself, but you have to know what that is, <laughs> you know, what you want to do and, and what kind of service or product that you're actually selling. And so you built the blog eventually, slowly by slowly. There's something else at play here that I wanted to ask you about. Meanwhile, as you're figuring this out, you've got your apartment, um, friends and everything, what did you do about the visa situation in Thailand? Has it always been 30 days for you? No, that's a great question. Back in the good old days, when I first came over, I was on a volunteer visa because of the NGO. Right. And uh, they gave me a year visa, which did not entitle me to get a paying job in Thailand. However, it did permit me to stay for a year, which was very helpful. Then after that year was expiring, the NGO actually had contacted me again and they said uh, we've got this idea for something else with the, the website would you be interested in helping I said sure but I need another visa yeah no kidding <laughs> and, uh, and so I got another year visa oh that's brilliant okay cool. so so that was that was great that was the first two years uh, the last two and a half have been a little more tricky because uh, I, there was no longer really any necessity for me to be doing anything with this with this project, so I became a tourist like like the rest of them. However, it was around this time that I was also starting to form a business plan, and uh, I mean that's a, a slightly different tangent or story. But I was registering a business in Cambodia, mm. and ended up with it, you know, getting year. Uh, business visas over in Cambodia and would come over to, to Thailand as a tourist. Okay. <laughs> I would love to know crazy. why you were registering a business in Cambodia. That's what all the cool kids are doing. <laughs> <laughs> Is it just uh, easier to... What business was that that you were doing that for? Yeah, just just touching on it lately because I don't want to get too far off, off right. track from okay. being expat. But basically the, the blog I had written was... Uh, or was developing was a travel blog. Uh, I figured with my experience in the industry and, and uh, you know, my education in the industry, I had developed a marketing tool, which basically was inspiring people, hopefully, to travel, mm -hmm. at which point they would leave my blog and then go on Expedia or, or right. Skyscanner or some other site and book a trip there. I thought, why aren't I closing the sale? I mean, I've got the experience. I know... Uh, what to do and 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 how to deliver uh, good good product and I mean I'm on the ground so uh, it's probably yeah. the best source of information for people so I built a, a tour company okay which you registered in Cambodia 
the reason I registered in Cambodia yeah. uh, was primarily the ease of, of registration. In Thailand, to register as a foreigner can be quite painstaking. Plus, you also give 51% of your company to a local. So you better know somebody that you really trust to have more than half of the shares of your business. And I did have some friends, but not good enough, I guess, that I could do that. Yeah. Uh, or, or that were at least interested enough in going into this kind of venture with me at the time. So Cambodia, I could get 100% ownership over the company as long as you're paying the taxes locally. Okay. Business license in Cambodia. This is your second business venture that you've kind of started since then, right? Since you've been living in Thailand? Sort of, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> sort of. Actually, I know you have a lot of things going on. You're kind of an idea person. Um, I remember talking with you about a lot of even projects that you have when, when I was there in uh, in Thailand with you. But Yeah, I, I love coming up with ideas. I think one of the biggest challenges, though, is just uh, not having necessarily all the resources to get them off the ground. So I've got mm -hmm. a lot of stuff on the back, mm -hmm. on the back. Burner. The primary focus is, of course, the tour company, uh, which is a lot of work and a lot of my time. Yeah. Uh, but I also do marketing for several brands as well. Um, okay. And so I've got a freelance marketing agency that pays the bills, okay. <laughs> really. Yeah. So between everything that you have started, so essentially what, I, what I'm getting at here is that the only thing that you worked for was that volunteer thing at the beginning and the and the, the website for those guys. But otherwise, you have basically created your own businesses to support yourself overseas this whole time, essentially, right? Yes, correct. That's awesome. Uh, Good for you. Thanks. It, it's a lot more work than you'd probably expect, or at least than I expected, just, just giving a reality check for, for those that want to get into it. I always now would suggest starting a business plan or model while you still have a job hmm. and you know, <laughs> getting all the sort of foundation and, and stuff in place because you don't know how long it's going to take before it actually uh, takes traction. When you do oh, yeah. get into it, you got to give it your all. I mean, that's yeah. if it means a 12-hour day or, or doing Skype calls at, you know, Two in the morning, uh, yep. which I try not to do anymore. But <laughs> uh, but you are in Thailand, so that can be difficult depending on your clients, right? <laughs> well, here we are, oh, Thailand, man. Seattle. We're, we're I know. opposite yeah. of the world. So. What time is it where you are? Uh, right now, it's about 10.30 in the morning. So this is a great time for me. Uh, I apologize. Oh, no. I apologize and it's, it's, you up late. It's 8.30 here. It's not even that late. I'm on the Pacific Coast, but it's also Thursday, and I think it's Friday where you are, so just a day apart. No big deal. Yeah. Uh, tomorrow, expect a chance of showers. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. So let's talk a little bit about your kind of daily life in Thailand. Um, and sure. one thing that I think people are going to want to know is how did you find, uh, well, I mean, you've lived in several places, but how do you go about finding places to live in Thailand? Okay. So places to live first. That's a good question. When I lived in Toronto, I remember when I first moved to the city coming from, you know, a smaller town or, or city, it was a bit daunting and overwhelming, this big, big city. And so I already had this sort of sense of culture shock. And it, I mean, Craigslist exists in Thailand that used to be the place that I'd look for places to rent in Toronto. So that was my first 
go-to source when I came here. Mm -hmm. But I always found I was more successful in Toronto when I would just, you know, take my car or my bicycle and go to a neighborhood that I wanted to live in and ride around and look for apartment for rent signs or house for rent signs. Because a lot of the best places were were unlisted. They would be be gone in a matter of days mm-hmm. uh, if they were in you know perfect location. So I've s- started using that mantra here. Sometimes it can be a little tricky. Uh, you have to do a bit of research online first to see where hot spots are, where maybe there's right. a lot of places. I think the only big challenge would be if there was a for, for rent sign written in their language and you didn't know how to read right. that. <laughs> so, so I was looking for the English for rent signs, <laughs> which also meant foreigner friendly. Right. Okay. Good point. Because then you have to be able to speak with the landlord as well. That's a and really if it's good point. Thai, there's probably, or, or whatever the local language is, yeah. if you don't speak it or don't speak it well enough, yeah, you'll probably run into some complications. Yeah, and also higher prices because they know that you'll pay them because you're not a native local. But this is a this is a really good point that you brought up in the structure of this because I think that there are a lot of people who growing up in like this North American society, you know, there there's there's like this box where you just have to have everything in a row, you know, you have to have your next job sorted out before you quit the one you have or you have to have your next apartment you know, least before you move out of the one that you're in. Everything is like, you have to have everything ready ahead of time. But mm-hmm. I have found, and I think what you're saying too lends to this, is that it's way easier to find a place to live like overseas when you're dealing with this once you're already on the ground. Um, it's mm-hmm. nearly impossible to do it first because even if you find a good place, you got to go like the next day or, you know, to to meet the landlord or um, you know, they expect you to be there to meet in person. And so there's that issue. But um, checking out the place, like nobody's going to rent to you if they don't know you. It doesn't work that way in a lot of places. Um, and so I oh, think... Yeah, I mean, a, a good uh, smartphone can make a dump look like a palace as well online, true, you know? So, true, no, no, Now, for, lo- for long-term rentals, I think it, th- th- this is a really good point because if you're going to be, you know, setting up base... Uh, for a very long time, of course, you you need the place to be perfect or immaculate. But there's also this digital nomad community who travels perpetually, you know, and doesn't necessarily set up for too long in a country. And they usually the the standards might be a little lower because you know mm-hmm. you just need a place a place to stay, and it doesn't matter if it's got a leaky roof or or a leaky yeah. faucet. You're only going to be there for a month or two. Um, for, for this kind of stuff, uh, Airbnbs also, and a lot of these new disruptive, uh, websites, which are shaking up the hotel industry also do usually do long-term rentals as well. And the nice thing about that at least is that former tenants, if it's, you know, for one day, one week, a month, however long they stayed, they can leave reviews and feedback. Absolutely. I think one of the things I found 
in Chiang Mai as well was that people wanted um, longer. It, it was harder to find the, the cheap places because you had to, you know, they wanted you to stay for a whole year or something or at least six mm -hmm. months. And so that I found was difficult when I was, when I was looking for housing there. But on the Airbnb note, I've actually found since I was in Thailand, I, I, I lived for a month in Italy and, and three months in Argentina. And both of the places that I lived, I actually found on Airbnb. And what was brilliant about that is that, um, you know, you, is kind of what you're saying. You can read the reviews. You can see where it is, the location. Um, and also Airbnb is, uh, with the reputations, you know, you're, you're, it's, it's almost safer. You're not going to get screwed because you can screw them. You know, you can, um, <laughs> ruin their entire listing if, if, if something bad goes wrong, you know, if something goes wrong, it's kind of like a safety net. Airbnb is kind of like a safety net and you can, exactly. Um, you can meet the person and you can negotiate offline as well. So it, it's like the price that I saw is not the price that I paid for every single night, the months that I was, that I was staying in my Airbnbs. But that's, um, that's a really good point. And I think I just wanted to kind of drill in that, you know, you don't have to have it figured out ahead of time. It's, it's not, it's not the way to go. Um, the better, the better plan is to get there and sort it out once you get there. Um, let's talk about Chiang Mai since that's where you've been, uh, recently. What is your favorite thing about living in, in Chiang Mai? I mean, the pace of the city is very reminiscent to the small city that I grew up in. Mm -hmm. A little busier. I mean, and the traffic's a little crazier. I mean, but it is Asia. Driving rules can be a little more flexible here than <laughs> back in Canada. I would say that, yeah, I mean, just the vibe of the city itself already felt like home because of that similarity. But the cost is about half the cost of what Bangkok is, mm. uh, which is already quite cheap. Uh, the food is is very fresh because it's grown in the surrounding fields, so it doesn't have to travel far to get into the city. Mm. Because of the large, booming digital nomad collective that, that have sort of called that place home now, mm -hmm. that's also brought in a lot of Western amenities, I guess you'd say. Like, yeah. you, you've, got a lot, you've got a lot of food options if you want to go for Mexican uh, or if you want to go for pizza. There's amazing restaurants that, that can offer that. Uh, a, a huge coffee shop scene has opened, has started in the last few years. Mm. Uh, my friend that I was saying, you know, she's been there for five years as well, did a post on the top 50 cafes in, in Chiang Mai. 50. <laughs> wow. Top. Top 50. Top 50. That's insane. <laughs> Man, especially because when I'm there, all I want is the Thai iced coffee from the street. It's like the best thing ever. <laughs> I'm drinking one right now. Oh, stop <laughs> it. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> uh, so you get a real sense of, of being in Thailand. You are in Thailand. It's a very uh, unique Thai culture, Northern Thailand has its own special culture that's different from the rest of the country. But you also have all the amenities to make it an easy place to live. You know, you're, you're not just eating uh, rice and noodles every day, although mm -hmm. I usually do. But <laughs> you can <laughs> if you want to. <laughs> but, but yeah, you don't have to. Yeah. And, and yeah, the internet's fast. Being a small town, it's very quick to get out of, and there's a lot of beautiful places nearby. It's in the mountains. There's hot springs, natural hot springs mm -hmm. that you can visit. Lots of caves with temples inside. 
lots of activities or zip lining, elephant sanctuaries, all this kind of stuff. So mm-hmm. it's, it's a very livable city. So does, I mean, are you planning on, this might be a hard question, but are you planning on staying for a while to come? I mean, does, is, is Chiang Mai home for you? That's a great question. I never expected Thailand, as I mentioned earlier, I never expected Thailand to really be a home, especially for this long. Coming over with a three-month contract mm-hmm. and, you know, fortunately a year visa for when I decided to stay, the idea was was always to keep on being on the road. But I, I quickly realized how exhausting that can be. Mm-hmm. This Again, this whole glamorous lifestyle of living out of a backpack and <laughs> you know, bamboo bungalows with mosquito nets. Uh, it, it sounds really appealing and really great, but there's something to be said about having a place where you, after your trip, you come back and you, you lay your bags down, you've got your bed, you've got your you know pictures on the wall, yeah. and and you've got this, this home. So I, I definitely have fallen back into a comfort zone being here. However, I do want to experience more. The, the whole reason I have to remind myself that I came over in the first place was to get back into the world so that I could experience a lot more cultures. Thailand is a great jumping off point. There's a, 10 countries in Southeast Asia, uh, part of the ASEAN alliance, which is sort of like the, the European Union. And they're very easy and cheap to get to. Uh, I remember getting a flight to Vietnam for $35, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. So I've, I've spent most of the, f- the five years traveling to all the neighboring countries. Uh, however, I don't know. I, I, love, I love Asia. And I think Asia will always have its grips on me. Mm-hmm. But I would like a slight change of pace. I, I've gone on a couple trips to Europe briefly uh, recently. And... Uh, have left, you know, Africa and South America relatively untouched for the last five years and would love to get back to visit them as well. So recently, my fiancé and I have been discussing moving abroad to get over to uh, South America and trying a new expat life there for a while. And, I mean, it's it's, it's dipping our toes, yeah. uh, seeing seeing if this is something that, that we are going to connect with on, on a similar level to the way that I've connected here in, in Asia. I mean, I've, I've been to a few countries there already and love it. I miss the food and I miss the language and I miss the music. I have a feeling it will get its grips on me pretty quick, but time will tell. Okay. So you just brought up something that I can't skip over because it's kind of a big a big deal. <laughs> you have a fiance. Congratulations, first of all. Thank you very much. Um, but this just begs the question because you've been, um, you know, Canadian living in Thailand. This is all well and good. We've heard your story, but now you have a fiance. Where did she come into the picture and where is she from? And uh, how are you guys going to be digital nomads together? Great questions. Uh, there's a reason I'm in Chiang Mai. <laughs> uh, <laughs> the truth comes out. <laughs> what do I love about Chiang Mai? Let me count the ways. Um, <laughs> so when I first came to Thailand and was visiting Chiang Mai, I became friends with uh, one of the locals. And her name is Nest. 
and uh, we became really good friends right away. Uh, we met at a, uh, a documentary exhibit house, I guess, which every Monday would show the most recent Game of Thrones episode. Oh my gosh. <laughs> uh, on, on a big screen. Yeah. yeah they down, download it and then play it on their movie projector and everybody would lay, lay back in the lazy boys and watch Game of Thrones. Fine. So uh, we, we met uh, watching Game of Thrones, actually. <laughs> but, but it was good because, you know, Game of Thrones, it was playing in English. Uh, my tie wasn't fantastic. Uh, I can't say that it's, it's much better now, but I can get around. But the, the fact that, you know, she was there watching an English TV show, I, I knew that she could at least speak enough English to understand. Mm-hmm. And so we got chatting afterwards and very quickly we became good friends, but circumstances were not in our favor. She was in another relationship and not too long after I got in one as well. But fast forward mm-hmm. a few years later and uh, relationships had uh, not worked out according to plan as sometimes happen. We reconnected and very quickly sort of realized, you know, we, we had been friends for a very long time, but there was a deeper connection. I mean, we had always tried supporting and helping each other through emails and, and whatever else, strictly on a platonic level, but there was a, a deep-rooted caring and support for each other. And so we decided to, to take a stab and, and bring it to the next level. And yeah, very quickly realized that, that the relationship was working and it was something that we were both very comfortable with. And maybe that's just because we had so much background. I mean, mm-hmm. every, everyone always says, don't date your friends because you might lose your friends. But in reality, <laughs> isn't your partner supposed to be your best friend? Yeah, right. Yeah. So there was a risk, but you know, we're, we're grown adults. I think we, we both understood that and could deal with the situations uh, like adults and, and it was the right move. So, yeah, no kidding. That's so great. Uh, well, while we were in Cambodia, she, she came for 10 days of my month over there and uh, the situation was right. Music was playing across the river. Aww. We'd just been for a romantic dinner and, and uh, she said, oh, you know, this is so romantic. It's so nice to be here. And it was our first international trip together. Mm-hmm. And yeah, that was the right moment. So, so great. Congratulations, Ian. That's really exciting. Thanks, Jackie. And so you guys are going to get to do this together now, which is so cool. So (laughs) that's the ironic part. In my past relationship, sorry if you can hear some thunder. We are getting into rainy season right now. Monsoon Uh, season. (laughs) Yeah. Speaking of which... um, out with the smoke and with the rain, but I love it. It's uh, it's refreshing. Yeah. Uh, so for the last number of years, I was ready to leave Thailand and just try something new. Now, I, I just thought it wouldn't be too far away. Maybe I'd move to Vietnam or to Malaysia or even back to Cambodia. My, my ex's uh, situation was, you know, a real job, hashtag, uh, mm-hmm, where, right. where she had year contracts and they kept on renewing them and promoting her and everything like that. So, so we stayed and there's no resentment for that. It led to me having the time and, and a situation where I could start my, my tour company. However, 
itchy feet and different life goals, I guess, led to us parting ways. And moving back to Chiang Mai was actually originally intended just to be for business expansion. I wanted to be based up there to be able to expand the business and and uh, and be close to where I was branching out into. And very quickly in the relationship, Nest had expressed an interest of moving abroad. As soon as Nest started talking about wanting to move abroad, she had internalized it uh, for a long while. And then once we started talking and I started saying, well, what about Spain or Latin America? And all of a sudden it, it clicked. Oh, yeah, she salsa dances. She's been taking Spanish. I'm fluent in French and Spanish isn't too far off. So for the last six months, we've been, been taking uh, some Spanish courses on our phone, uh, Duolingo, Duolingo, amazing app. Yep. So yeah, we're awesome. We're competing with each other on, on Duolingo yes. right now. That's and, so. Uh, yeah, we're planning the move this October. Oh wow! Okay, awesome. So, like a year from now, I'm gonna have to do another interview with you to find out how you're liking Latin America. Where have you end up? <laughs> yeah. Well, it, and now it will be it, so. One thing that uh, we could touch on is relationships while you're abroad and being an expat, not only relationships with locals as friends, but but uh, as partners as well, because I tend to find that a lot of expats just hang out with other expats. Yeah. And, and there's like this digital layer between expats and the locals, you Especially digital nomads, you know, you're you're only there for two months to, compared yeah. to maybe some expats. Mm-hmm. It, it's not a, a competition, but some expats live there for 10 years, learn the language, make the friends, integrate into the culture where the digital nomads especially only spend a couple months there. Mm-hmm. It's enough to learn your favorite coffee shops and Mexican restaurant, you know, in <laughs> in Chiang Mai or Bali and not really get as much out of that cultural exchange that you could be getting. Especially if you're spending your days at the co-working space. Yeah. And, and so, well, yeah, exactly. Co-working spaces, which are, you know, modern day internet cafes. Right. There's that. And then now, you know, being in a relationship with a local uh, has its own rewards and, and, and challenges, of course. Uh, but it will be a totally different ballgame when we're both expats. And then there's sort of no uneven <laughs> playing ground, I guess. Yeah, uneven playing field, yeah. Uh, we'll both be in the same boat. We don't know anybody. We don't know where we are. Yeah. Uh, I think I think it will be really good for our growth and our relationship as well. Travel generally is. Absolutely. Coming coming back around, looking back now, now that you can, now that you kind of have an idea what your next step is and you've seen how far you've come and all these things that have happened since you left Canada, what what kind of advice do you have for people who who want to move overseas? I mean, I, I would have similar advice to people who even want to visit temporarily. I've got a big focus on responsible tourism with my tour company, and it's something that you know I thought I knew everything about when I first came over here, and and just through being here for such an extended period of time, those ideas have changed. And the people I meet, they have new ideas and those ideas keep growing and changing. But I think one of the fundamental things is to try and 
learn as much as you can, either before or while you're there, about the culture. If it's learning basic words about, I mean, the, the, the two most important words are hello and thank you in any language, in any country that you visit, uh, that will get, take you miles with, with the, interacting with the locals, just showing them that you've taken at least a bit of time mm. to learn a little bit about them. Right. Cultural, cultural nuances. You know, when you enter temples in Thailand, you take your shoes off. <laughs> you learn very quickly. It's probably good to, you, to wear flip-flops because they're easy to take on and off all the mm. time. But it, it shows a level of respect, dressing appropriately. Uh, you wouldn't go to uh, church back home in a bikini. Why would you try and go into a temple in Thailand in a bikini? Mm-hmm. You know, uh, just learning things that, that are important to the culture, if it's yeah. uh, sensitivities and being sensitive to them. As soon as you show that level of respect, it's the same, it's the same back home as well. You show respect to, to somebody back home, smile at them, and immediately they smile back and, and you've broken uh, down this barrier. And when you show that you've tried to learn something about them, they're going to be a lot more willing to want to learn something about you. Yes. And it starts breaking down a lot of those cultural barriers. The language helps, uh, although charades <laughs> that does go quite far. <laughs> yes, the universal body language. Shows that language, although it's, it's very important for communication, it's, it's not essential if, you, yeah. uh, if you're making an attempt, at least, to communicate. Right. You know, you're, you're showing that you're trying to in- engage and to interact. As soon as you close yourself off to that, uh, and just ignore people because you're too embarrassed or you're too shy to, to to attempt. The only person that you're hurting in that process is yourself because mm-hmm. you're closing yourself off uh, from possible interactions and engagements. Yeah, I love that. The human connection transcends language. I love that. Well, Ian, this has been awesome, really. You have such a cool story. Uh, I love that it's not over either, you know, that you're, you're just taking the next step and you're already planning the next thing, which is super exciting. Um, I'm excited for you. <laughs> I can't Thanks wait to see it. how things go. So where can people follow you? Great place to start is, uh, is, is the tour company website. Although it did, as I mentioned, start as a travel blog, all the information on there is uh, free Lots of helpful tips and suggestions if you're planning a trip over to Southeast Asia. So that, that website's wheresidewalksend.com. That, that's a great place. I've got Twitter. Uh, you can follow me directly, globe underscore Trotta. And we've also got a Facebook page. But I'll give you all the social media links. Yeah, uh, and I'll put, it, I'll put everything on the show notes page if people want to want to come find you. So, um, And if anybody has any questions, I'm, I'm always open for uh, emails of just, you know, wondering more about any of these topics that we've talked about. Awesome. Yeah. Thank you for that. We can put your contact info on the on the show notes page too. So, well, thank you so much. Um, Th- and I thank wish you, you for having the- me, Jack. Yeah, I wish you all the best going forward and we'll have to see how see how your story continues. Thanks, Ian. Yeah, thanks a lot. Okay, there you have it, guys. Ian is just one more example of an expat success story. And 
I hope that his journey will encourage you to explore moving overseas if that's something that you've been thinking about. And again, I think a common theme that we're going to keep discovering with these expat interviews is that you can only plan so much ahead of time, but things kind of just start to fall into place once you get yourself overseas. So don't forget that. All the notes from today's show can be found at thebudgetmindedtraveler.com slash 71. And remember, if you want to experience Patagonia with yours truly this fall, check out patagonia2016.com. We're going in November and all the info is there. Go check it out. Thanks so much for your time and attention today. Until next time. Until next time.